The text for the sermon this morning is taken from 2 Kings, which we read earlier, as well as the reading from, a reading from Jeremiah 29, which will be read later. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. To start, I'm going to start with a quote from a movie, and movie slash book. The movie is Lord of the Rings Two Towers, which was based off of a book by J.R.R. Tolkien, who is also was a very devout Roman Catholic, and his faith definitely shines through that those books, and they and no matter how hard Hollywood tries, it's still kept true in much of the film. In the movie, there's a lot of bad things that are going on. War is just hectic. It's cri- there's a lot of bad things. The world is going dark, and literally, and there reaches this point where Frodo, one of the main characters, he's carrying this ring to the destruct to be destroyed. A ring that, if it ends in the ends up in the wrong hands, means slavery and death for the world. But bringing it to the Mount Doom means peace and salvation for everyone. Which, by the way, Tolkien is making Frodo a priest. Gandalf is the prophet, and Aragorn is the king. Who is a prophet, priest, and king? Jesus. All three characters are Jesus figures. But anyways, Frodo at one point, he's getting so burdened by everything that is happening, he eventually says, I can't do this anymore, Sam. Sam is his companion. And so Sam says, I know, it's all wrong. By rights we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? I'm going to stop at that point. Notice what we just read out of 2 Kings. There's only like a few verses left in that book of the Bible. Very depressing, hard ending. We all know what it's, most of us know what it's like to be hungry. Right now, maybe you miss breakfast and you right now are experiencing hunger. We know hunger. Maybe you fasted for a hospital visit. Maybe you had to fast for several days. And you remembered how, how wonderful that first meal was. Imagine going, having a famine so great that a city literally had no food left. That's where that reading starts. A famine is in Jerusalem. Why is there a famine? Because nobody can go outside the city. So again, you've seen on the news, you've seen ISIS, you know of North Korea, you know of um, Iran, and all these fears that we have around the world. Now imagine if the armies... We're standing right outside of your hometown or city. Standing, sitting right outside May City. Surrounding it. 
or what it, wherever it is you live, surrounding Hartley. That is what happened in Jerusalem. Armies surrounding it. Now imagine that army came in. They invaded. We know what many, some of us may be, there's some that may have been in Vietnam, may have been in World War II or Korea, or Afghanistan or Iraq. At the very minimum, we see movies like Saving Private Ryan or Braveheart or whatever. So we can kind of begin to get some small imagination as to what it would be like to have that invading your own town. Jerusalem, its walls were knocked down and the armies came plowing through. We know what it's like to be sick or injured to have broken bones. Thousands and thousands of people injured, broken, hurt by the, the effects of the war. We know what it's like to lose people we love. Jerusalem is an entire city. Over half of the city was killed in that attack. We know what it's like to have some place we love dearly, that's been our home most of our lives, and all of a sudden having to pick it up, pick up what we have, and move somewhere else. The people of Jerusalem were forced to go by foot all the way to Babylon, carrying what they could on their backs, and that was it. To give you perspective, that'd be like walking from here to Chicago. How many of you think that walking just to Melvin or Hartley would be tough? Now think all the way out to Chicago. That is what the exile was. That is, and the thing is, as I listed through, we have on a small scale what happened in Jerusalem. But we have all experienced these things to a smaller degree. This last year, serving our three congregations has been a very emotionally a tough year. All, ever since, actually going back to December, All Saints Day, we are going to pray, a, we're going to have a prayer where we are going to remember everyone that has passed away in the last year, as, we have, as is, has become practice. This year, that list is going to be a lot longer than it was in the first two years. We cannot help but look at what's going on in this world and ask the same question. How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? The quote continues, though. But in the end, It's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back 
Only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. Frodo asked what were they holding on to something and then Hollywood philosophy came through in the, in the response quote instead of good Christian theology. Their answer was, well, there's good in people, which that's not the hope, that's not the hope to cling to. But we do have something to cling to. What are the people in Jerusalem clinging to? Now understand the world they're in. They deserve this. Everything that happened was a consequence of their rebellion. They had warning after warning after warning. And by the time Jeremiah comes around, he's not warning them to turn their ways because it's too late. He says, it's over, guys. It's just going to happen. Now I'm going to tell you what you could hope for. And this is that verse, Jeremiah 29. Very well-known verse. Loves to be used at graduations and other similar events. But I'm beginning at verse 10. Because this text is written to people. Telling them this is the hope they could cling to. As they are being led away to Babylon. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole, with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Notice. He's this, in that context, he's talking to the people that are about to go into exile. Seventy years and you will return. Now the promise doesn't sound perfect, because if I told you in 70 years, there's going to be a hundred dollar, there's going to be a million dollars sitting in your house waiting for you, how many of you are going to be excited about that? How many of you expect to be there in 70 years? Even me, I'm 33. I'd be 103. I I guess some people live that long. But I'm not going to hold my breath on that. And I think even even if you're a teenager, you're going to be in your 80s by the time that happens. Only the youngest of the young who can't even remember being told that there are 70 years would be around to experience that treasure. So this blessing that God gave was for the descendants of Israel, the descendants of those who are being led out of Jerusalem. He is preserving them. And this is the hope that they are clinging to. Because God keeps His promises. As I have been saying throughout, as we've gone through the Old Testament, I've said this many times, He keeps His promises. 
He promised that He would preserve Noah in the flood. He promised that He would lead His people out of slavery in Egypt. He promised that they would have the land that they had. He promised that the son of David would build a a temple. And it happened. He also promised that if they rebelled against Him, that they continued in their paths, that it would lead to their destruction. And it did. But even when they don't deserve it, He still promises salvation to be led out of that place, back to their home, to have the home they don't deserve. He still grants it. We too, we don't deserve any of God's goods. We have suffered the fullness of the the full effects of sin. Not a single person is safe from the effects of sin. And we are the sinners. We are the guilty ones. There is no goodness in us. And so we, too, deserve this death. And we see the effects of it around us. So what do we hold on to? Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, our God, from horrible things, brings great things. He promises that He would send his a descendant of Eve who would crush sin, death, and the devil. And he did that on that cross. You see that in the front of the church every week. You see the, the nails are in his hands, are in his feet. He, exp- he experienced incredible pain, incredible suffering. But by it we have life. And on top, underneath is the baptismal font. That we were one time called in the baptismal waters, called to faith. Our sinful nature was put to death. And God promised it to be so that baptism now saves. 
He said also when we partake of the Lord's Supper that He promises that He is present in the bread. He is present in the wine. That His body and His blood is there. And it gives forgiveness of sins. And it is so. His promise is that no matter how bad this world gets, no matter how wretched it gets, we have the promise of His kingdom. We will return to His kingdom. And it will never have armies surrounding it. It will never be crushed. There will be no sickness, no death, no hunger, no leaving your home. It will be a blessing that's beyond our comprehension. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have a foretaste of that. And by the way, I've mentioned this before, but if you've ever missed somebody who has died, go to the Lord's Supper. Because guess where they are? They're there with Christ. And you unite to them through the body and blood of Christ. Look in Hebrews 13. We come to to Mount Zion and the innumerable and feastal gathering. It eventually says, into the sprinkled blood. Therefore, with angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name. If you have a parent, a sibling, anybody that's ever died, there, those angels, archangels, all the company of heaven. Until the day comes that we join in that everlasting kingdom, when we sing praise and thanks to our one true God, in Jesus' name, Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we continue by singing the Te Deum.